welcome to Leo Roundtable at leoroundtable.com. My name is Chip DeBlock, and I'm your host. We're a group of law enforcement professionals that talk about law enforcement issues, but we do it from a law enforcement perspective. I'm going to go ahead and introduce the crew to you guys, if you don't mind waiting for the video portion of our show. Uh, we have attorney and former federal prosecutor, Ward Mythaler, and also all retired this evening. Uh, we have uh, Chief John Newman, Captain Brett Bartlett, Lieutenant Randy Sutton, Corporal David D. Gresta, Officer Andrea Casal and producer Will Statzer. So thanks, guys. Uh, appreciate having you here. Also, a shout out to our sponsors. We have Galls, uh, Guardian Alliance Technologies, uh, MyMedicare.Live, GunLearn.com, and TacTote.com. And we're also powered by Bang Energy. All right, guys, got a great lineup for y'all, and I'm looking forward to some of these videos, too. I expect that uh, David might have uh, ground out a molar or two over the weekend when we were sending some of these videos out. Uh, but the first uh, main story, we've really only got two main stories, and those are like more in-depth. But on Police One, uh, the very first one, it says, state your case should crime victims' DNA be included in a criminal database. Um, I remember us talking about an investigation involving DNA and actually David's the one I think on the panel that actually predicted, you know, what the cops did involving DNA in order to find the bad guy. In this particular case, this is a woman in San Francisco. She was arrested for a property crime for which she became a suspect after a DNA match connected her to the crime. It says the DNA uh, did not come from a voluntary submission or as a result of a previous arrest, but from a sample that was volunteered as part of a forensic examination of her person after she reported being the victim of a sexual assault. Now, they said that um, the commingling of her victim DNA with the database for criminal investigation, it was an unforeseen and unintentional result of using various DNA samples for quality control measures. It says that the undisclosed property crime was dismissed, and they don't know whether that was due to a like pending lawsuit or an ethical or legal question that might not survive a court challenge. And they say the case has rattled civil rights advocates and politicians, and the woman is now planning this to uh, sue the city. So here's here's my question. Should crime victims DNA be included in criminal databases? What do you guys think? Uh, Brett, you want to start us off? I'm going to say no. How come? Boo, boo, oh, oh, boo you want, oh, you want a reason? You want reasons? Well, because they're victims. They're not, they're not suspects. Now we could argue here. She's a rape victim. She goes to the, goes to the rape center. Like, you know, that's not a bad though. They're, they're, I can't think of the name of now, and, and they take evidence from her, okay, which might have included DNA. I bet you if they had said, well, the, you know, the DNA is voluntary. That's just like saying uh, you don't really have to report this crime. I think it's wrong to use victims' DNA gathered as a victim, later used as a criminal prosecution. Anybody else on this one? Uh, John Newman. You know, if you're a criminal case, you know we're gonna they're gonna swab that booking. You're gonna know someone. If you're, it's gonna be in the database. Uh, it's it's a Virginia or a Maryland case that went up to the Supreme Court. Maybe Walt uh, War would know. The gray issue is gonna be if you one voluntarily gave your DNA up, and there's been some case law on that with regard to like those ancestry dot kits that are now warehouse somewhere, or the first time you gave your DNA up victim um, and then you became a suspect or vice versa you're a suspect in a case and then you're a victim and they get and they use the uh, the DNA against you I'm not sure if there's been anything specifically it's it's Virginia versus King Ward or Maryland versus King but it's not that old of a case but this is a very evolving technology um, in this county if you get arrested 
you're going to get a local DNA swab as you enter booking. Um, but if you're not, if you're a victim of a crime and then you become a suspect, it's a completely different matter, even though you gave up your DNA to begin with. So maybe work and chime in, but I know there's case law on it. All right. All right. Thanks. I know uh, Lieutenant Randy's waiting and so is uh, David. So uh, go ahead, guys, uh, jump in. I just think it's uh, I think it's uh, very unfair. I, I don't think that it, it passes the smell test. Um, you know, to uh, you become you're a victim of a, of a sexual assault. And then that DNA that was that was basically um, used to, uh, you know, during an investigative process is now used against you. I got I have problems with it. I don't know what the legal system says, but uh, there's something inherently unfair about that, in my opinion. Well, Randy, I, I, what you say carries a lot of weight here. I, I know that you personally have been the victim of many sexual assaults, so I appreciate you uh, feeling comfortable enough to say that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Uh, no, I, listen, I, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in before Ward so he can clarify the whole thing at the end, but um, I actually kind of disagree with the with everybody. I, I think if, if it's a real simple situation, if you want to call it a criminal database, okay, but it's just a database, I guarantee you, in the investigations that don't even say it um, that I've been under, I'm, I'm sure my DNA profile is somewhere that is just sitting in a file somewhere or sitting on a database somewhere. And I'm sure several of us probably the same. So how that's used once it's, once it's obtained, if it's obtained legally, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things like the, like the ancestry.com type of stuff. So uh, if it, I think the simple, the simple solution for law enforcement agencies is to have another one of those waivers that you sign when you go in to have evidence taken from your taken from your body in whatever circumstance. Now, in this circumstance, it's it, it, the ugliness is the fact that she was a uh, you know reporting a sexual assault. That's what makes it kind of uncomfortable. But the idea that you go in and, and you know say you're in say you you're the victim of a of, of an aggravated battery, and they're trying to get contact DNA off your clothing or off your body where someone had beaten you or, or, or something like that. And your DNA is collected as well. You, the simple signature of a form that says, I understand that my DNA is being collected and it's going to be in a database undoubtedly somewhere and may be used in the future. I just don't know. Or no, you can't. Uh, that, that solves a lot of problems right there. Real simple thing, I think, and Ward can clarify. But I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling it. David, I know Ward's up, but you're so lucky. Newman's Newman's mic was muted and he didn't chime in because he was he could barely hold no, himself. Oh, I yeah. know. Believe me, this is one of those things. So yeah, John, your your DNA DNA is over too much. <laughs> All right, Ward, the floor is yours. Unfortunately, I can't clarify anything, John and David. I've never looked into this subject. It certainly looks interesting to me. I have mixed feelings on it. I can see arguments on both sides. I certainly don't think it's inherently unfair um, like Randy does, and I certainly have no concern about the so-called fairness with it when it comes to criminal conduct. I don't believe, however, that such DNA, that taking someone's DNA is more intrusive in terms of what you can find out than, say, fingerprints. And we've all had our fingerprints taken. Um, as long as the DNA isn't used for some other purpose other than seeing if someone was involved in a crime or not. I guess I'm not overly concerned about it. Well, okay. Guys, anybody else on this? Catherine, did you want to throw your two cents yeah. in? Yeah, Dave, I guess we're going to have to, the form's going to have to say your DNA may 
uh, maybe use against you in a, in a future court proceeding, like a, almost like a uh, Miranda for, for DNA. And, 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 to, and to his point, I'm okay with if, if it's explained. Here it is. We're going to draw this, and if you you waive your rights, I, I guess that's okay, as long as people really know. But as far as like a rape kit, that I don't know. Especially in that situation, people have been traumatized so badly anyway. But if we do what Dave but, says, but, but, wait, wait, I, I get it. Them, but that, but Brett, that doesn't give them shade for any criminal activity moving forward from the sexual battery that they were a victim from, right? So you're no, a victim of a sexual battery, you know, and, and your DNA is taken yeah. from you. Three years later, you, you know, you go on, you, you, what, what, you, you commit a lot of crimes and they match you up in a CODIS case. You know, I, I, you know the, I think they gotta, I think you gotta look at the reasonableness there. Yeah, you, the, originally you gave up your DNA because you were a victim. Now that shouldn't be able to give you a pass if you're a criminal. Yeah, I just don't like this. I don't like the smell of it, so to speak. All right, David. Um, nope. All right. Is that is that it on the topic, guys? Anybody else want to throw any words before we move on? No, we better move on. All right. All right. Yeah. Before it gets it gets too delicate here, and I know, and I know, I cracked a joke at Randy, but you know, Brett's thinking, well, why not me? Because Brett's always wanting to be the sexual victim. You know, it just hasn't happened yet, but he's 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 got his hopes up. I know. You know, Remember? I I walk around. As a possible victim, shit, but that's not funny <laughs> because because this is more of a, a curse and a blessing sometimes. So thank you, Derek. I'm gonna you know I'm gonna shut my camera off right now. What? Shut my camera. Wow. Okay. All right, I'm back. All right. Good commentary, guys. Thanks. Let's. Uh, we got a little less than two minutes before our first break, so uh, let's hop on the police one. We've got an update article here. It's a reference to the mandate. So Chicago Mayor, well, one of our favorites. Um, not. I was joking. Um, uh, says that unvaccinated workers will get a final chance before losing pay. I don't know if anyone thinks that she's getting a little, I mean, she keeps, she's given these extensions out now. Nothing. There's been no finality for anything, but Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot gave city workers who did not get the first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine by Sunday, gave them a chance to get the shot before placing them on no pay status. She said this on Monday. Um, as of Monday morning, there were 30 uh Chicago Police Department employees and 19 fire employees who were on the no pay status. Now, according to the city data, it says that um, roughly two and a half thousand police department employees, they still have not reported getting vaccinated. And that's down from just under 3000 last week. And nearly 80 percent of the department is vaccinated and compared to nearly 89 percent of the entire city workforce. So uh, that's what they're up against. So I I kind of wonder if she's really I mean, once they're on the no pay, no pay status, then they make a decision whether or not they're going to fire these guys or not. I just am, am dying to see what she does when everybody else is lifting all these mandates. So I, I just, I, I think it's a little far, a little stretch, Brett, for her to be firing people uh, for not getting the vaccine, especially when the whole country is like, you know, just they're just over the COVID thing and they're living with it now. Well, I think she's become unhinged anyway. You know, we talked about this last week. Her statement, I guess, on the hot mic was, hey, I got the biggest you-know-what in the city. I'd love to see it, just just even though it's going to make me puke. I just want to see it. All right, thank you. Guys, time for a commercial break. We'll be right back. All right. 
right, look, let's talk about Medicare insurance option. It's mymedicare.live. There's over 80 options in just Hillsborough County, Florida alone, which is where I'm at. Now, these benefits, they can change annually. So how do you know that you're getting the benefits for your specific health care needs? It's simple. Contact mymedicare.live or call area code 813-245-6656, especially if you're in the Tampa Bay area. Um, and uh, talk to James or Bobby. They'll meet you in person, save you money on your medication co-pays. They find plans that your doctors accept, and they'll get you more of the benefits that you actually qualify for. So again, it is uh, area code 813-245-6656 or mymedicare.live. And also, uh, let's talk about GALS, GALS.com. Pretty much everything uh, for law enforcement except for guns and ammunition. So I went to the site today, Brett, and they have there's a public safety appreciation week that we're going through right now. So GALS is offering free shipping on all orders. And in addition to that, 20% off site-wide. Wow, I don't know that I've ever seen that level of a of a you know special deal before through Gauls. So check out Gauls.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Uh, guys, if there's old David, did you have something you want to throw in? Yeah, I was just going to tell Brett, you know, considering whoever sent me that picture of Beetlejuice in that uh, that <laughs> Irish garb with the kilt, considering that she's from the Windy City, you almost saw it on that picture, which would have it burned my eyes bad enough as it was. I couldn't tell if it was Photoshopped or what, but Ike. Yeah, Randy so like that. You almost, yeah. did, you almost did see it. Wow. <laughs> I saw everybody take have a big lump in their throat all of a sudden. So yeah. Well, you know, uh, Dave, the circus is looking for a new freak. So maybe if she gets unelected, she'll have a job. Ooh. All right, ouch. All right, guys. Moving along here. We got a couple of uh really good videos that we're gonna be covering now. So on YouTube, and uh, I've been talking to the uh, guy that runs uh, this is butter. Um, and he's got some great videos. So this one, it's on This Is Butter, of course, on the, U- the YouTube channel. Video shows suspect shoots police officer at point blank, returns fire, killing suspect in uh, Oklahoma City. So it says authorities have released this body cam footage of the shooting involving an Oklahoma City police officer. It happened earlier this month. So around 5.50 in the afternoon on March the 2nd, Officer Bryce Sheehan responds to a report of a disturbance or suspicious person. And then Sheehan ends up finding the suspect. And he says, hey, you got any weapons? Can I pat you down real quick? Make sure you don't have any weapons. Um, and he's, you can hear him say this in the video. And again, it is a disturbance or suspicious person call, okay? So this uh, newly released video shows a suspect, you know, as the officer is going to pretty much, for, you know, pat him down, but the guy's got a bladed stance. You can't really, the, I remember the cop telling him one time to take his hands out of his pocket, uh, but you see the suspect all of a sudden when the cop is, you know, trying to get him from behind and, and pat him down, pulls out a gun with his right hand, fires point blank range at the cop, um, and Sheehan looks like he went down on the ground. He ended up getting shot in the leg, but he returns fire. Suspect runs to the officer's car, and you hear him get on the radio say, hey, still in my car, still in my car, and the car is actually now moving down the street, but the suspect uh, ended up not being in the car, so the car is actually moving without a driver in it, and the suspect runs away. You see the officer put a tourniquet on himself after being shot in the leg. The Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Police Department, they used a drone to actually find the suspect, and he was hiding outside a nearby home, and the cops take him into custody. He was taken to the hospital, later died, and police identified him as uh, Crestaven Kenan Wilson, 23 years old, and our cop that did the tourniquet to himself, he was treated and released at the hospital, same day. So, uh wild video comments guys what do you all think about this one john you want to start yeah you know 
he, when you first got there, his right hand is empty because he's pointing that he's going to his neighbor's house or he's pointing somewhere. You know, obviously hindsight, I'm trying not to read what the article is about. I'm jumping to the time um, marks that you gave us. He, yeah, he's bladed from the officer, but he walked away first when he pulled up on him. He tells him to stop. He has an outreach right hand, keeps his body bladed again. So I'm not sure if the officer's vigilance was couldn't couldn't have been any better. Guy got the drop on him, but I tell you what, man, he stayed in the pocket. Um, he returned fire. Um, you know the magazine changes. I know Brett must love that with these body worn cameras because you really get to see the dexterity of the officers or not. In some cases, I thought he did gave out great commands, and then he had the wherewithal to say, "The hell with the road rolling police car. I'm going to put a tourniquet on my leg." You know, there but the grace of God. And he did a good job. I don't find much fault in what the officer did. I don't. Sometimes I get a little annoyed at his tactics. He approached the bad guy. Um, he asked to see his hands out of his pocket, but things went bad that that quickly. Um, I'm just glad the guy's going to be okay. And I thought he did a really good job. Thanks, Chief. You know, Captain Bartlett. Um, I, I, luckily, our bad guy does not understand what cover and concealment is. Well, as I'm watching this, I'm thinking, didn't the officer see the hands? But then I remembered, you know, the, the camera shows everything. The camera knows everything and the eyes don't see it. But when I saw that bad guy blade himself to the right a little bit, and those hands went to the waist. And that right hand just, I'm telling my heart started racing as I thought, oh, crap, here we go right now. But it, it's we, we can't see everything. And hindsight's twenty twenty. But the officer uh, did a good job. He, he stayed right there and he continued to fight. So good for him. You know, and, and, and David, even though, I mean, despite the fact that the, however the officer got in the situation, I like the fact that he remembered he was, he was, you know, running for cover, but before he even took cover behind the car, you know, he turned around to face our bad guy with his pistol drawn and the bad guy, he did not get, he did not, he was not protected at, he's just standing in the middle of the street, the driveway, you know, still trying to shoot the, uh, the cop. And had he been, you know, behind the car, the cop wouldn't have been able to put him down like he did. So what, what do you think, Corporal? You know, to both John and Brett's point, it, it, it what they both said was was accurate. That you know, you you're always having to move yourself forward. And as Brett has said in the past, in these situations, the bad guy is the one that gets to pick the time and the place. And he did. Um, what I wonder, and it would take an interview with the officer, was <clears throat> did his movements, did the bad guy's movements with his right hand, as Brett was describing and the blading caused the officer to disengage and go to cover as quickly as he did. Did he see it happening in front of him and chose to disengage, go to the closest cover, which was not far. This guy did not run down the street like we've seen other officers do that get, once their feet get moving, they can't stop. He went to the closest cover, was already drawing his weapon, turned and engaged right there on the spot and did it well. So uh, the, my question would be, did he see it? Did he see it happening in front of him? And that's what caused him to move when he did, move where he did, and be able to, instead of, you know, you, you, we look at the way that the bad guy was drawing the weapon around in front of him, across his body with his right hand to try to get to the cop, and the cop was running or was moving away from the gun. He wasn't moving into it. He was moving away from it. So you wonder if he saw that happening in front of him and moved accordingly. I'm not going to take it away from him. I'm going to I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and, and say that that he was in a bad situation and he he moved properly away from it to the closest cover 
was drawing his firearm, engaged, put bullets on target, um, and then took care of himself and, and all that beyond that. So he might have been spot on. I, I mean, that was a... It, I'd like to say he was good. A little luck thrown in never hurts. So good for him. Thanks. All right, Andrea, we've got a little less than a minute. Go ahead. I kind of wondered the same, what he actually did see. Um, the one thing that I think is amazing, we've seen a couple of them, is how these tourniquets have really helped out on these calls. Just how, you know, calmly he put it on. And, I mean, like, he really did an amazing job. That's, you know, a couple of videos that we've seen lately with with these tourniquets. And I think that um, it, it's just amazing where, you know, all that training that you have just makes you stop, take a second, take care of yourself. And then, you know, these guys have done a great job with proceeding forward after they, you know, after they put the tourniquet on. I actually thought the video was pretty good. I think we get involved in those situations real fast. And I think you stumble upon um, situations, you know, you don't see the hands. And I think that he found himself in a position real fast that he needed to engage. Thanks, Andrea. All right, guys, time for another commercial break. We'll be right back. Look, let's talk about industry leader in technology solutions for law enforcement. It's Guardian Alliance Technologies. Their software will cut background investigators' time in half. Now, we all know that there's a call for more accountability in hiring and selecting who gets to wear the badge. And with Guardian, um, they help, their software helps weed out problematic applicants in record time. And it's it's both you know quicker for both the investigator you know and the applicant. So the entire background check process is more comprehensive and faster for both. So no, there's no upfront fees or long-term commitments. So I strongly recommend that you visit them today at guardianalliancetechnologies.com. Welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. Um, guys, anyone else on the uh, on the last video that we did? And if not, we'll move on to the next one then. And let's see, we've got uh, yep, video number two, police1.com. Man rams patrol cars, plural, in shootout with Dallas cops. So uh, yeah, we're in Dallas, Texas. So we've got uh, police officers, they fired 24 rounds at a suspect who the department said opened fire on the officers after they tried to conduct a traffic stop on the man for a felony warrant. So no one was injured by the gunfire, but three officers were injured when the suspect rammed their patrol cars. Now, the man was found about 2.10 in the morning on March the 12th at the Vena Game Room, and uh, our bad guy's name is Seth Michael Anderson. He's 34 years old. He's known to the police as a felon with a history of fleeing from police. So he runs from the cops, of course, and at one point he hits multiple police vehicles, and of course he's in a car, and he and injured three officers before continuing to flee. So he's eventually boxed in an apartment complex. He opens the driver's door, and he begins shooting at police. And, you know, you're, we're watching body cam and then the dash cam, so it's really clear in the dash cam uh, what this guy's doing when he opens up the door and he gets a jar, and then he starts, you know, you know, dropping rounds at the officers. So officers, they take cover before returning fire. And after exchanging fire, our bad guy, Anderson, he gets out of the car, raises his hands as, as if he's going to surrender. And uh, there, he acts like he's going to get on the ground following commands. And he just, he, he sprints on foot. And so uh, they give chase, they taser him, and then he's taken into custody. So it's an interesting uh, video. We've got um, you know, Officer Hem, H-E-M-M, is the one involved in this thing. Uh, comments on this video, guys. Uh, what do you think? Anybody want to start us off, David? I'll go first. Yeah, I, you know, um, chaotic situation. Uh, I wish that 
uh, police officers, deputy sheriffs everywhere would consider their patrol cars as a weapon when the opportunity is in front of them. And in this, uh, in this occasion, you've got a guy that's doing a lot of bad things and a lot of cops with cars that could have used their vehicles to crack his car, to push it into, the, into a place where it couldn't move instead of stopping 10 or 15 feet away while he's still in the car, all that sort of stuff. Um, beyond the chaos... Of of a of a high intensity felony warrant or felony arrest. At the end, it was it 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 kind of came apart. You've got guys in there with pistols and rifles making barrel contact with the back of this guy's head and the and his back and whatnot. I mean, putting their one guy had his one cop had his pistol right against the base of his of his head with the guy on the ground. He's not in hand, he's not under control much at all. He's got his pistol against against the back of his head, screaming. And I'm and I'm sure Ward just loved it uh, with this guy, this cop screaming about you know I'll I'll blow your effing head off and and whatever else he was talking about. I'll end you or all this stuff. And then a guy with a rifle runs up and does the same thing. I mean barrel contact really, guys. Come on, that's just bad. Um, then a, then a taser comes in in the dog pile. Or is who was it? Oh, the the sheriff said the pig pile, um, and uh, it, it the end was a little bit ugly. It, it they were in it right up until the end. Then they then they kind of lost their focus, and it kind of degenerated into a into a mess. Um, that that needs to be that that needs to be addressed. Thanks, Corporal. Um, guys, uh, John, Chief John, you're up next. No, I, you ready for this? I agree with David. I mean, the, I thought the officer did great. I know, shocker. You know, and then I was, first of all, I was really surprised he was able to get out on foot and go. I mean, that 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 was kind of like, you thought it was going to end right there. Um, big man, right, by all, like, by, you know, all the video, this guy was not a guy to be taken lightly, but they got really sloppy at the end. The barrel contact really bothered me. I mean, with, there was four or five police officers standing around. It could have gone very wrong very quickly um so and i get all the adrenaline all that but i just thought that that definitely needs to be cleaned up it's unnecessary unlike ward i can really care what came out of their mouth um because i know they were just in a heated you know gunfight but there were so there were some cleaning up that could have been done to david's point thanks chief uh, andrea is a is a pig pile is that a new technique i mean you're the most recently retired one is that I think, I think it might be. I think I think it might be. I was actually wondering if, if that did that that video did bother Ward, but um, I just wanted to say to David's like to what he said. You know, I've I've said many times my law enforcement career was the first half was one way, the second half was another. A lot of these officers on the street now are afraid to use their cars. They they get put in a situation where it ends up being a punishment. You know, you won't have a car, or you get in trouble, you get written up. And it ends up being, you know, officers aren't using their tools to their safety and to their advantage. And I think that that was one thing that if you talk to a lot of officers on the street, that extra stress, you won't see them use it, you know, or they're afraid they don't have supervisors that are um, experienced enough to sit there and understand why they used it. It was, you used your car. Why did you use your car? And I, and I think I, I saw a crossover. There was a lot of really good policing, you know, in my first, I don't know, 10 years, and then it just kind of everything changed and it was a lot more of, you know, CYA and why did you do this? And, you know, I, I just feel like you'll see a transition. We're going to see it even more now, you know, with less equipment, less training. I just I don't think people are going to do that. Should they? Absolutely. 
you know, use, use your car for cover. I, I don't, I don't know why, you know, a lot of times you see them get out of their car. It doesn't make sense, but I do see that we're seeing a complete change in law enforcement. Thanks. All right, Ward, you're up. Well, I was giving the cop a pass this time because it was a good shoot, but since John has commented on it, I seriously think, I, I honestly believe the chief needs to seriously think about sending this cop for psychological counseling. Absolutely out of control. It's not just the words they use, but the anger behind it. If this was any sort of a close shoot, a gray area, this would be devastating evidence against them. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, they see, see John, apparently you said just enough to get Ward to interject on this one. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, look, we're, we got a, a another uh, good one coming up. It's a main. It's our the second of our two main stories. And, and Randy, I, I know we got four minutes before the next commercial break, but when we get to the end of this, I would like you to talk about the wounded blue and and tie that in. But on police one, it's talking about the effects of of, of mental health uh, deinstitutionalization on law enforcement. So, um, you know, the story is really talking about a video and talking about how great cops can be even when the situation maybe doesn't necessarily call for it but there isn't there's a, a part of the article that talks about mental health john newman has talked about it uh, before on the show I, I thought it's worth covering um and, and it starts off by saying um that they can start with a desperate lack of mental health services as far as improving things and although the article centers on new york it really could be said for anywhere in the country it says less than a week before monday's crisis uh, that they were talking about in this particular article and in the video um it says that uh, thomas uh the guy in the video, he called police asking to be taken to ECMC for psychiatric treatment. It's a, a tragically familiar story. People in crisis or more often their relatives, they reach out for crucial help that they cannot find. It says the police become the de facto therapist, taking on obligations that should not be theirs. It says the problem traces back to the deinstitutionalization uh, policies of the 70s and the 80s. Um, so... I mean, a lot of us were getting into law enforcement right around that time. Um, and it says its premise was that mental health hospitals should be reserved for those who truly need that level of care, while those who could benefit from community-based services will get appropriate, less costly treatment in a less restrictive setting. So so I came on in, in 1983, for instance, in my law enforcement career. And I remember um, and it had, had not been phased out yet, but it, it, it quickly was. And yeah, we had to deal with a lot more things that we never did you know, at the beginning of my career. So they say that it was a good idea, but New York State pursued only the cost-saving first part of that equation. And it says that community care has lagged. Um, all of the mental health care needs to improve if New Yorkers are to see fewer avoidable crises such as Monday. So for now, it says those duties belong to police and they need different weapons to carry it out. It says that the Buffalo Police Department has begun arming officers with tasers, which deliver, of course, non-lethal electric jolt. But the officers who responded uh, to this incident on Tuesday, they're talking about um, they did not have tasers. Their only option was firearms. It says if those officers had tasers, it says Thomas might have been uh, safely restrained and received the care that he needs, but the weapons were not available. The issue is cost and it needs to be resolved. Then it talks about the question of removing police from mental health calls. Uh, it also rises. Generally, it's better for trained mental health professionals to deal with crisis situations, but it's not always possible and likely that it was not in this case because our bad guy was armed with a knife. And still, the mere presence of a uniformed officer can elevate the turmoil of somebody that's already in crisis. It says the Buffalo does have behavioral health teams uh, and they work with the city police, but they're only on day shifts Monday through Friday. Go figure. So in a dangerous situation such as Mondays, it says the team might not have been um, uh, safely deployed. Um, but it says 
most as the team might not have been safely deployed, but the question remains, did the presence of uniformed officers inadvertently complicate their own outstanding efforts? Now, clearly police need to respond in, the situa in this situation they're talking about, but nonetheless, the event uh, should cause city officials to evaluate how best to relieve police of the duty as mental health counselors. So um, I have really four points. Deinstitutionalization has caused Leos to be mental health responders. And mental health professionals, although better trained, they simply won't always be there due to logistics and weapons. The absence of less lethal in these situations does not sit well with the public. And how do you relieve police of duty as mental health counselors, or do you really even need to worry about that? So that's what I have. Captain Bartlett, the floor is yours. I remember in the early 80s, I came on and uh, I hit the street in June of 82. And uh, I remember... I don't know if it was right then or later. I remember when they dumped those people out on the street. And it seemed to me that there were more of them back then, but they we didn't have as much trouble. They weren't as violent. That just made me my, my memory. We'll be right back after this commercial break. You know, no matter how much you know about guns and ammunition, there's that knowledge gap that leaves you confused and missing the complete picture. GunLearn.com, they've taken the confusion out of learning and they've made it easy. GunLearn.com is the first and only company that offer a step-by-step -step program that takes you from your present knowledge level to become a safe, accurate, and competent certified firearm specialist. They provide citations from federal law and ATF rulings for every point taught to ensure accuracy. And their training is approved by major forensic organizations, law enforcement agencies, and firearm manufacturers. Since 1996, they've taught everything that Leos need to know about firearms and ammunition to all facets of law enforcement. You can start the day with online training or register to attend a live seminar. You can also get free training for yourself and the personnel of your agency by hosting a seminar at no cost. So come aboard as one of the most firearm knowledgeable people in the world by joining the folks at gunlearn.com. Well, welcome back to the Leo Roundtable Show. This whole thing about community solutions, that's code for let's dump a bunch of money down the toilet and not get any results. And then they then they try to train the police to evaluate. It takes a it takes a psychiatrist psychologist years to go to school and weeks and weeks and months and months to diagnose a case, but they expect the police to do it there. If 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 you cannot shoot the bad guy, great. If the bad guy comes with a knife or your gun, like I teach people over and over. Shoot the behavior, not the reason for the behavior. It would be nice to have a team of people in your backseat to go deal with this. But you know, if people don't want a police solution, quit calling the police. Oh, wow. All right. Thank you. All right, Lieutenant Randy Sutton. Oh, um, well, Randy, go ahead and go, and then um, Ch Chief Newman will follow you up. Go ahead. Well, this is one of those no-win situations for, for law enforcement. Um, this is a question that's been going on literally since – since they dumped out all the uh, the uh, emotionally disturbed people uh, back during the, the early 80s. And they did. They just they just opened the mental hospital doors and said, We're, it's no longer illegal being nuts. So go go about your business. And, th and that was a very fateful decision. Um, you know, the, the, the question is, are are the people who are suffering mental illness better now than they were then? And uh you know, I, I do remember the, the, the days where the police would have to transport somebody to a mental hospital. They were not pleasant places. 
Um, many times they were they were like literally dungeons. Um, so this has been falling through the cracks for decades now, and there is still no cohesive response for law enforcement. Oh, all right, thanks. We got um smoking mics. I know Chief John and David. We're going to talk about it. So go ahead, guys. No, thir- almost thirty percent. You know, according to you know the Bureau of Justice, almost thirty percent of the encounters that we have are with people with mental health issues. Nearly forty-two percent of the people, either in jail or in prison, are suffering from mental health. So you don't want us to do it. And the mental health people only work on Monday through Friday, you know, from eight to five. My own, God bless them, right? Because thirty percent, almost thirty percent of our calls for service are to deal with somebody with mental health for exactly what you know the lieutenant talked about. So what's the solution? They're afraid of us because we look intimidating. That's that's a complaint. That's not a solution. And now you start look, looking at treatment programs, and you'll have certain um, advocates will say, "Well, we're spending billions on." incarcerating people and warehousing them when we should divert some of that money to mental health. Meanwhile, law enforcement's in the middle looking left, looking right, looking left, and still having to deal with those calls for service. It's not our fault. There's got to be a better solution out there. But until then, we're the ones dealing with it every day, at least 30% of our, 30% of the times we have people that we have contact with, they're going to have mental health issues. And the problem on top of that is you have articles like this that intimate within them that if only the police had a taser, if only they had some less lethal or less than lethal option, if only they had a magic word or they could, they could open up their trunk and, the, and their, the mental health trunk monkey would jump out and handle the situation for them. It, and it's crap. It's absolute crap. That situation, taser or not, and we've talked about it a hundred times before, that guy was intent on causing a confrontation with the police. He was intent, um, and there was nothing going to stop him. Would a taser? Maybe. Yeah, but maybe. But or it's, it's, it's writers like this, it's articles like this that plant in the public's mind that, well, it's the cop's fault for not having a taser. It's the cop's fault for not being able to have some sort of fancy mental de-escalation judo bullcrap that doesn't work with these people with this type of a mental problem anyways and dave, dave, dave that's dave, the problem the, that i have look at the, dave look at the video we're going to see with the in mesa arizona somewhere the guy's charging a lieutenant who gets out of the car he tries to hit yeah. him with the ass and this guy's going at him and he winds up getting shot because he's trying to stab the guy with a pen but you can there's the mental illness right there what would you like them to do? Just get in their cars and leave? I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, that, 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 that's what I don't like about this article is, is that, that intimation that it's, it, it's the cop's fault for not having the right equipment or the right training. And that's crap. Well, go ahead, guys. We have a, a couple open mics still. We've got five minutes left. Go ahead. Go ahead, Andrew. Well, here's the thing. You know, then they don't add in. A lot of times, you know, you have um, – They'll be on drugs or, you know, remember when Spice, when Spice was real big, you know, you can't determine whether they're on something or if it's mental health. There's a lot of things that mimic each other. And I'm going to tell you what, we had a lot of guys that were mentally ill. And then once you put them on Spice, nothing, they're not going to respond to any of that. So you have to, you know, you have to, each, each encounter is going to be different. You have to handle that encounter, how it comes across. You have to, you can't sit there and be like, oh, sorry. You know what? I don't know if, if they're on drugs or if it's just mental health. You know, you will see a lot of behaviors mimic each other and some they're not going to be able to handle that mental health 
um, you know, I, I appreciate anybody in mental health, but I mean, we've got a real problem on our hands and it's only going to get worse. I think a lot of this, you know, you're going to see a lot of this wave with the COVID people staying home. Mental health is obviously a lot worse. It's only going to get worse. Captain. I think that uh, what was unsaid in this article is that Buffalo is not carrying tasers now. And you have to probably go back in time and wonder why they're not ta carrying taser. Here's my guess. It's because the citizens didn't want cops to have tasers. And then all of a sudden this happens and they change their minds. Why else would a police agency not have tasers? I can't expect that Buffalo is a backwards organization. So something must have happened in the recent past where they were not allowed. We've been carrying tasers for, what, 25 years? And Buffalo doesn't have it. So I bet the same schmucks that are calling for it now were calling against it back then. Thanks, Captain. You know, um, the nice thing about using StreamYard is that we can see all the comments through, you know, Facebook. There's two Facebook channels we're on and LinkedIn and, you know, YouTube. Um, we're even on Twitter. But uh, I, I see Kevin uh, Hornbuckle um, was talking about um, deinstitutionalization. He was in Clearwater and now is considered an abject failure of public policy. So we've got a lot of support and guys are concurring with what we're saying, you know, on YouTube. Um, guys, if there's nobody left on this one, you know, we are coming up at towards the end of the first half of the show. So whatever topic, you know, we talk about, we're going to go ahead and end on that. So instead of jumping to a video, uh, let me go to a, an update. We've got about, you know, two and a half minutes on police one. It says Washington governor signs rollback of police reform bill. Uh, so we're in Washington state governor Jay Inslee signed a bill on Thursday, rolling back part of the state sweeping police reform legislation from last year. After law enforcement and key Democratic lawmakers agreed that the original bill, it went too far. So it's it's called House Bill 2037. So 2037, it makes clear the police can use force to stop people from fleeing temporary investigative detentions known as Terry stops. So officers said the restrictions passed by lawmakers in 2021, it left them with unable to do this, meaning that potential suspects could simply leave. And uh, it also makes uh, reference to another House Bill uh, 1310. Uh, but any uh, any comments? We've got uh, less than two minutes, guys. But um, comments on this, Ward? Uh, it, it looks like between this bill and two other bills, they cleaned up three of the things that we complained about on this show. The article did say that it still calls, the law calls for a, quote, appropriate de-escalation, end quote. Now, that I assume that's a summary by the police, but that's, if, if the law still requires that, it, it's, that bothers me because now you're getting into the, uh, quote, mental de-escalation bullcrap, end quote, um, that lawyers are going to come up with in, in every single case. You're, you're just never going to know what, whether you've done the right thing or not. All right, thanks. Oh, well, Brett, you've got, uh, we got over a minute. And uh, I just remembered that uh, Randy has not done the wound to blue thing yet either. So if we have time to get, if he, well, we don't have enough time probably to give him full, you know, the full minute that I know he's going to need for this. So we'll uh, we'll do it at the top of the uh, at the hour. But uh, Brett and David, go ahead. Oh, I'd have had plenty of time if you hadn't said that. But here's what I'm thinking. Yeah. If, if these people, they, they don't even have the guts to say we were wrong. You know, nobody's picking up on the fact that they're, they're, they're pulling it all, but, but nobody's going, wait, but you're the, you're the people that it, it's just, it's just part of their, part of their makeup. They can't admit that they were idiots and they were wrong. Yeah. They got a little bit over your skis on that one. Did you Washington? <laughs> we're a bunch of idiots. And yeah, but if, if, if I agree, I saw Randy shaking his head. If, 
If Chip wouldn't run his mouth so much, he probably would have had time to do the Winter Blue thing, but that's all right. We'll get it at the top of the hour, but now we're picking on Washington State, so let's stay on topic here. (laughs) (laughs) What a bunch of morons. Well, we got a a good video coming up from Las Vegas, which is uh, Randy's old old neck of the woods that he used to work at. So, uh, yeah, well, that's, you know, Las Vegas Metro, they made it in our, in our lineup today. We'll be right back after this commercial break. at the end of the first half of the show so we still have another 45 minutes and of course in radio uh 45 minutes makes for a perfect you know hour in radio because the other 15 minutes is taken up by news traffic weather and sports so uh look we're going to take a about a 15 second break and we'll be right back 